Welcome to Week in Review, where we recap issues and events pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WNBD News Director Cooper Banks. The prospect is raised now of foreign migrants being sent not just to Chicago, but here to Central Illinois, too. In fact, officials in Peoria are effectively planning on it. Peoria Mayor Rita Ali joined us for a conversation on this topic Friday on WNBD's The Craig Collins Show with WNBD News' Will Stevenson joining in. Uh, this is Mayor, I'm not going to say uh, A, that would be, I only disrespect you that way, Will. Thank uh, this you, that's, is that's very kind of you. The Mayor, uh, the correct uh, articles being used there, of Peoria, Rita Ali. Welcome to the show, Mayor Ali. Well, thank you. Thrilled to have Good you on. Here. Thrilled to have you on with us. Uh, How does it feel to be called the mayor? The with a big capital <laughs> T, by the way. Um, Feels um, pretty good. Okay, good. Uh, so let's do this. Uh, we saw some stories earlier this week about conversations that were being had. Uh, some of them even publicly, and I think you guys were even uh, organizing some of those conversations about the possibility of migrants being bussed from Chicago. Uh, right here in Peoria. Is that something that is occurring? Uh, can you give us any other details on just what's been going on this week in regards to either preparing for that or any other information we might not know? Sure. About a week ago, uh, we got word that Peoria could be one of the cities where um, migrants might show up, um, either through a coordinated effort uh, with the state or Chicago or possibly not a coordinated effort, but that a bus might show up in Peoria. So with that, we began putting together a team to begin planning in the event that this does happen. We don't want to be caught by surprise. We also um, want to make sure that we're, we're being humanitarians in terms of if a bus does arrive with immigrants, uh, that we know that these are people that some are suffering from malnutrition, dehydration, uh, possibly other medical conditions. Um, so we want to be prepared. So we have we we had a meeting on Thursday. Police chief had a meeting pulling together the Hispanic and uh, Latinx community this morning because we know that there would be language barriers. We need mm-hmm. uh, people who can speak the language. Uh, we want a cultural culturally relevant uh, response uh, in the event that we do get a bus or more. Yeah, no, I will actually uh, tell you, and I I haven't, uh, this show just started, so I haven't told anyone in the listening audience. I was at that uh, meeting that occurred today at the um, police uh, headquarters uh, where people from um, the specific community you mentioned uh, showed up and talked about what resources and things they'd be able to provide uh, or just language uh, help. Uh, my wife is, as people know who listen to the show, born and raised in Mexico, fluent in Spanish. Uh, she came with to see if there's something she could do in the world of helping uh, via translating and whatnot. Uh, and that was, um, for anyone that's curious that didn't hear about it, uh, a call to action from uh, the police chief to the community to help on a community level. That's not necessarily talking about uh, some of the things that I think will upset a lot of people. Uh, or or at least upset uh, some people in our community about the burden that this will potentially cause uh, our government. Uh, but since I have you on the on the air and since we do see some of those things as, uh, you know, questions from our listeners, I would like to ask you, uh, what would you say in response to someone uh, telling, um, I don't know, you, anybody uh, involved in, in our government that we shouldn't be accepting of buses, that we should be telling uh, those buses to turn around. I know that's probably the most extreme way to articulate it, uh, but we have versions of that sentiment coming in from some of our listeners. 
Okay. Well, you know, I would certainly try to appeal to their human side. Uh, you know, the fact that buses are showing up in Texas and those buses are being sent to other cities across the nation, like Chicago, and, you know, who has now accepted over a 1,000 individuals and about 21 buses so far. Uh, we expect that that's very likely to increase over time. I would just, you know, try to, again, appeal to the human side, think about what these individuals have gone through um, to even drive all the way in a bus, a very packed bus, from Texas to Chicago is a very long way, and that's why they're showing up dehydrated, malnutritioned, and, yeah. and so forth. But to turn that bus around and to say, we don't want them here, we're not going to help in any way, is not the Peoria caring way. Well, and, and I'll actually, I'll, I'll, I'm sorry yeah. about this, I'll, I'll dovetail That's on something right. you said a second ago. Uh, Police Chief Eric Echevarria said today in that meeting this, this morning uh, that some people might show up without shoes uh, because they were traveling yeah. so far on foot. Uh, so there's certainly a, a human side, I think, to have this conversation. And I want to say one other thing uh, to best articulate, I guess, uh, the sentiment, and I, I want to make sure this is in no way taken uh, uh, as uh, you know offensive or, or undermining uh, the the uh, importance of the leaders we have in our own community. Uh, but the way that I'd say it is, we're not the ones. You're not the one deciding on border policy. I don't think that uh, Mayor Reed Ali right. is deciding right. what is and isn't open there, or, or even the decision making out of Chicago. Uh, I think you're reacting That's to right. it more so than making yes. the decision on it. So I would equate it to this, and please tell me if I'm wrong. It's sort of like when you call customer service and get really mad at the person who answers the phone, and they're the last line in in that totem pole of how we got to where we are. Uh, that person on the phone probably didn't make the decision uh, that you're mad about from whatever company it is you're calling to complain. And I imagine right. the same is is true here. If I'm is is that right or what no, am I getting? No, I, I love the analogy. It's a good analogy. It it happens. It's part of my office. Decisions that are made, you know, at the state level, at the national level sometimes i get blamed for those decisions sure. right <laughs> but again I, i'm you know i have people are not objects and we can't treat them like objects uh they're human beings and and we peoria cares peoria has always been a caring community i grew up here uh i've been here most of my life and i have would never think of peoria being the type of community when people need help that we would just turn our backs that said, uh, Mayor Ali, just kind of backing up on what Craig just asked you, should this have been handled, I guess, better before now? I mean, Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago came out from the beginning and said Chicago is wanting to be a welcoming city, but it looks on the surface like... If, they're not being these, very welcoming. They're not it being feels, very welcoming. Feels, if, they're, yeah, I, yeah. if they're being bused to Chicago right. and then they're being put on another bus to yeah. go to downstate Illinois. Well, and even to dovetail on what Will's saying, uh, from all the reporting we've seen, Mayor Ali, it's it's something like a thousand migrants have been sent to our state. Um, and Will and I both lived in Chicago for a while. Yeah. Uh, a thousand doesn't sound like an insurmountable number to a city like that. Um, a few hundred uh, sounds like a, a challenging number uh, here in Peoria. So, um, you know, yeah, please uh, react. Well, to I, I think that everybody is stretched, you know, and I think that Chicago is being stretched with over a thousand uh, immigrants arriving and knowing that there's likely many more coming. I, I think that Chicago is stretched. Peoria is stretched. I mean, if we look at uh, certain shelters that we have, they're filled to capacity. Uh, so, you know, it will be a challenge for us. It, it will mean being creative in terms of temporary shelter 
and other accommodations, you know, health care, uh, education, you know, all those things uh, that um, require uh, supporting, you know, people in this, this condition. So it, it, it does stretch all of our resources. Should Chicago just retain all the buses that come? I'll tell you one thing that has happened. Uh, the state of Illinois, the Illinois Municipal League, they have reached out to cities uh, and mayors across the state, and they've asked for volunteer cities. There's, there's been several that have stepped up and volunteered to, as a welcoming city to accept one, two, three buses. Um, I Did don't Peoria volunteer? Peoria has not volunteered. Um, okay. And so, you know, in, in the case of Peoria... Uh, we, you know, if it's a coordinated effort, we would be notified in advance, at least three hours advance notice. In the case of a bus just arriving directly from Texas or somewhere to Peoria, there would be, you know, no advance notice. Um, but again, we have to be prepared because it could happen. Continuing our conversation with Peoria Mayor Rita Ali as the city faces a possible influx of southern border migrants perhaps overflow from Chicago. It remains to be seen, but the mayor tells WNBD's Craig Collins and Will Stevenson there is likely to be little or no notice when migrants begin arriving here. So she wants the city and its residents and charitable organizations to be ready too. In the case of a bus just arriving directly from Texas or somewhere to Peoria, there would be you know, no advance notice. Um, but again... We have to be prepared because it could happen. That said, anywhere from zero to three hours notice doesn't seem like a lot of time to get something together, especially if we're stretched as thin as you say we are. Right. It doesn't, uh, Will, unless you're prepared. And that's what we're doing. We're putting together a response, a structure, a structure similar to the structure that we had uh, in our response to COVID, multiple public and private uh, organizations coming together, being ready in the event a crisis uh, like this should happen. Um, in terms we, of, I'm uh, sorry. Just a second, Will, sorry. Uh, is there a chance that we're going to know a decent amount of information about the individuals that come into our community? Or are we, um, I, I imagine maybe not, uh, because of I know the way that a lot of people are, are traveling here right now. Are we going to have uh, some amount of information uh, about who the people are, where they're coming from, uh, that kind of stuff? What we've been told so far is that there is no manifestos for the buses that arrive, so there is no list. Uh, We've been told that most of the immigrants are from Venezuela, that many of them are young, that there's families. Um, You know, generally you might think it's an older population, but I've been told the demographics are a younger population uh, and does include children. So that's really about all that we know. We know that we would need an intake process uh, to develop that list uh, should a bus arrive. We, we want to know the demographics. We want to know where they're from. We want as much information as we can get, which is one reason, another reason why, you know, you have to remove the language barrier and have uh, individuals that can, can speak their language. In terms of, uh, you said one of the more basic needs will be shelter in the early beginning, and given that we know that places like Dream Center and the Salvation Army and some of the other shelters, as you said, are filled to capacity, what do we expect that we can we can do in that regard in order to accommodate some of these people? 
Sure. In uh, Chicago there and other places, there have been some hotels uh, that have um, stepped up with a very discounted rate. There have been some uh, churches or faith-based organizations that have offered some facilities that they have. Um, I know in Chicago, I think they looked at the the National Regard National Guard base to set up kind of barrack style housing. But again, and and we've we haven't had a response to the uh, National Guard. I don't think we've. Uh, I think somebody may have reached out, but I don't think we have a response back. But we uh, have had some uh, businesses and organizations, including faith-based organizations, to step up to uh, volunteer their facilities. Now, I can even reiterate on that. Uh, after the meeting I was at this afternoon, there were several uh, faith leaders in that room uh, that all said exactly what the mayor, uh, what you just said, uh, Mayor Ali, that they had facilities they would offer up uh, to our police chief. Um, so mm-hmm. it does seem like uh, faith-based leaders are going to be at a, the forefront of uh, some of this. Um, as far as all of this is, is um, you know, concerned. I wonder, and this is, I, I guess, the best way to ask this, um, if we know when this could end. Say that it does inevitably start, and it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity for that to happen. Um, it, it sounds as though we wouldn't know how long this could go on for. Is that correct? That's correct. You know, I just, we don't have those answers. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it sounds interesting because I imagine there is a there is a moment um, where our community, no matter how valiantly we try, uh, could be overwhelmed, um, depending on just how significant of a challenge this becomes. A lot of this, uh, Mayor, has been uh, has been kind of, I, I don't want to say done in secret, but it's kind of been done maybe behind the scenes, I guess. Maybe the, the formation of the meeting today, I don't know that that was widely spread. Uh, some of the, you know, you said you had a meeting yesterday. Does more of this need to be out in front of the public, in your view? Do we need to be more transparent about uh, what we're trying to plan here? You know, I, I think it's because we're, it's kind of our immediate uh, planning response to what was a rumor a week ago. Mm-hmm. And our decision to try to put something together, try to build a structure, and then certainly be open and transparent at, at sharing that. But right now, you know, it's it's in its formation stages. In terms of the meeting that happened at the police station today, that was just put together. I mean, just a couple of days ago when uh, Chief Echevarria reached out to members of the leaders within the Hispanic community who put together a flyer and started, you know, sending it through social media to other, you know, Hispanic residents or organizations. So so it's we're working kind of on the fly right now, but okay. not trying to hide anything, not sure. trying to exclude anybody. And it's just amazing how many people are stepping up and we're getting calls. People say, I have certain skills or certain uh, resources, and I'd like to help if the need arises. Uh, just one last question for me, and thank you so much for spending so much time with us, uh, Mayor Ali. Um, would you have a um, sentiment, like a thought at all, a, a gut kind of feeling of how soon this could happen? Uh, if this is something that uh, we in this community end up facing, is there any sort of um, thought or, or you know thing you're leaning to in in a timeline of any kind? We've heard some unconfirmed reports, for instance, that some other communities may have to or may end up getting uh, some of these folks as soon as this weekend. 
even? I've heard that rumor. You know, it has not been validated. Um, and so I don't know that that's true or not. There's other rumors that are out there as well. <laughs> sure. But uh, that's how the rumor uh, mill yep. works, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, to respond to your question, I um, my gut feeling is that ultimately one day it's probably going to happen. Okay. When that happens, I don't know. But if and when it does, I don't want to be caught off guard. I don't want Peoria to be caught off guard. Sure. Do you see this being sort of an expensive proposition in terms of like the city budget or anything like that, by the way? It's probably hard to tell at this point. You know, Peoria, again, is a very giving uh, community, very generous community. I think that there are some other ways. And, you know, the governor has declared this a state of emergency mm-hmm. i would expect that there would be some state or federal uh assistance if this you know goes on for any longer relations involving taiwan have been in national and world news of late but how about a new trade agreement between taiwanese businesses and illinois agriculture top state officials made the big announcement this past week here's more from the press conference good afternoon i'm steve pitstick I'm chairman of the Illinois Soybean Association and a proud farmer just an hour west of here in King County, Illinois. I'm very excited to be here today as part of this signing ceremony with the governor and the senator and many others from Taiwan. We are the number one producer of soybeans in the country. 60% of the soybeans in Illinois are exported. Taiwan is one of our major customers. I'm very thankful and proud to be here today. I'm going to turn it now over to Mark Wilson of Illinois Corn. Thank you. My name is Mark Wilson. I represent the Illinois Corn Marketing Board. I'm the past editor built on these type of things, go on to the future, and we can continue to build on this and uh, use our corn, our DDGs, our ethanol, all these products we hope to continue to send uh, so they can help their population in Taiwan. So I'll introduce Senator Duckworth. Well, I am just so pleased to be here. Um, I just want to say this about our soybean crop. It's not only, not only do we produce the most soybean in the country, we produce the highest quality soybean in the country. And our corn and soybean growers, I mean, in fact, we're harvesting right now, so this could not be a better time for us to have this ceremony than right now, just as our hardworking farming families are in the field harvesting the crops that's going to feed this country, fuel this country establish relationships with friends around the world, especially with Taiwan, in a part of the world where we are seeing threats around near-peer competitors and America's presence, America's, this agreement between the United States and Taiwan is not only about food and and livestock, but it is also about our national security. So I'm so proud to be here because um, this is a real sign of friendship between uh, Taiwan and the United States. And uh, I want to thank the governor for including me in this ceremony because um, this is a momentous occasion. Thank you. And uh, Governor Pritzker, our great governor. Well, thank you so much to uh, Senator Duckworth for that uh, kind introduction. And um, let me just say thank you to the senator for all the work that she does to uplift and support Illinoisans and farmers, especially at our federal level in the United States. Before we get uh, to today's announcement, on behalf of the state of Illinois, I want the people of Taiwan to know 
that the people of our state are with them in spirit as they recover from this week's devastating earthquake. Your friends across the Pacific are thinking of you and holding you close in our hearts. Now to happier news. Uh, I am thrilled to be here with Senator Tammy Duckworth, with Chairman Steve Pitstick uh, of the Illinois Soybean Association and Director General Johnson Chiang of the Taipei Economic and Cultural Office in Chicago to witness our second multi-billion dollar agricultural deal between Illinois Agricultural Associations and Taiwan since 2019. Illinois is honored to have a long-standing trade partnership with Taiwan dating back decades. Since 1978, 13 Taiwan agricultural trade goodwill missions have visited our nation, resulting in the exports of more than 3 million, sorry, 3 billion bushels of corn. <laughs> uh, worth nearly 14 billion dollars and 1.5 a billion bushels of soybeans worth upwards of 15 billion dollars. As the top soybean producing state and the second largest producer of corn in the nation, we are proud to be Taiwan's second leading corn trading partner and third leading soybean trading partner in the United States. Our strong agricultural industry has always been the backbone of Illinois. After all, we export more than 360 million bushels of corn, generating billions of dollars, bushels of, sorry, 360 million, dollar, million bushels of whole soybeans annually, and an average of 877 million bushels of corn, generating billions of dollars in annual trade. And we are able to do this because of our world-class soybean and corn producers, because of our fruitful history with Taiwan, our third largest trading partner of agricultural products in total in the world. In 2019, I was proud to seal the deal with Taiwan to export nearly 100 million bushels of soybeans and 200 million bushels of corn, totaling over $2.2 billion between 2020 and 2021. Well, today we are growing that trading relationship, and I couldn't be happier to witness the signage of a letter of intent alongside Taiwanese leaders to sell $2 billion of Illinois soybeans and $600 million of Illinois corn over the next two years. That's a substantially bigger win for our state's farmers than our last agreement was. And it's a testament to the hard work that our agricultural industry puts in day in and day out to make us a to top global producer of corn and soybeans. I have no doubt that Illinois and Taiwan will continue to enjoy a mutually prosperous friendship for many, many years to come. And I am forever grateful for their partnership. It is additionally a great honor to welcome the Taiwanese dignitaries here with us today. Thank you for joining us in the land of Lincoln to mark this occasion. We're very proud to be your friends. And with that, it is my great pleasure to turn it over to Director General Johnson Chiang. Director General. Uh, thank you so much, Governor, for your kind words and uh, uh, sympathy uh, for Taiwan's recent earthquake. Uh, 
it's a really challenging right now in Taiwan, but I think we have a strong resilience. And thank you, Senator. You mentioned about a very close security cooperation between Taiwan and U.S. And 95% uh, of soybean and corn in Taiwan relies on imports. And 50% of those imports coming from one single source, the United States. I think many of them coming here from the state of Illinois. So we are, we are now in good hands, uh, rain or shine. I think we want to appreciate for uh, Illinois for a reliable partner with Taiwan over decades. Uh, the delegation right here with the signing ceremony is another example of a strong partnership between Taiwan and Illinois. We want to continue to grow this relationship, not only about a trade side, but also about a technology side. We were at Bernard Champaign at University of Illinois two days ago, very impressive by the technology applied to uh, agriculture business. I think that's a strength of uh, Illinois. And also we are very impressed by the uh, Illinois as the transportation center here. Uh, a few a few months ago, I took delegation down to Carroll. I understand there's going to be a construction there. Uh, I think it's very strategic with the convergence between uh, Mississippi River, Ohio River. It's going to help a lot for agricultural transportation. It's good news for uh, the solutions for supply chain congestion nowadays globally. Uh, we want to be part of that. So uh, uh, we're going to continue to work together with uh, American farmers here in Illinois to strengthen this relationship. In this regard, uh, I want to introduce uh, Senator Fowler uh, for his uh, support about this. Thank you. Thank you, Director General Chong. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I always want to start my uh, speeches with uh, just saying how thankful I am uh, to represent this great state of Illinois to represent the 59th district in Illinois State Senate where I live and to have this incredible relationship that I've developed with, with Taiwan and the delegation. And as Deputy Director mentioned, you know, we have so many opportunities to continue transporting our, our soybeans and our, and our coin, corn uh, across the nation, and especially with, with the economic development projects, as he had mentioned, in Cairo, the Cairo Port Project, as well as a new uh, project, fairly new, in Old Shawneetown, Illinois. So we're really excited about that and the opportunities that we have to continue to take advantage of our waterways and our railways and our infrastructure to be able to move product. Uh, throughout the entire nation. And for that, we should all be thankful. We live in a great geographic location here in Illinois, and we have so much to be thankful for with tourism and everything that we have to offer uh, right here in the state of Illinois. And our economic development projects are going to continue to grow as we work hard to create more opportunity, especially for areas of the state of Illinois that don't so desperately need a, gr a great shot in the arm. And that's what we're working toward. So, Governor Prisker, thank you so much for your commitment uh, on these projects, uh, especially in my district, which maybe I might be a little bit selfish, but I think I deserve it to be that way, you know, with, as the Deputy Director mentioned, uh, the confluence of the great uh, two rivers of the Mississippi and Ohio. Uh, and not only that, but there's an incredible in, uh, investment in all the, uh, all the other ports in the state of Illinois as well. So it's an honor to be here. It's an, on it's an honor to be with my friends. And thank you so much. As, as you mentioned, you, know, you brought your delegation down to southern Illinois. You toured southern Illinois. You saw the beauty of southern Illinois. You saw the potential of southern Illinois. And we appreciate that so much. So we look forward to that continued relationship. Thank you so much. 
always do that. I'm sorry. This time, it gives me great pleasure to introduce my colleague in the General Assembly, Representative Will Davis. Good afternoon, everyone. I am Will Davis. I'm state representative of the 30th district out in the south suburbs uh, of Chicago. I'm, in ple I'm pleased and honored to be here with you today uh, to celebrate this historic occasion, but more importantly, as a member of the uh, Taiwan Friendship Caucus in the House, as a matter of fact, I'm the co-chair in the House of the Taiwan Friendship Caucus, I'm, I'm honored that I've been able to build this relationship with the country of Taiwan and the Director General for several years. Um, the importance of this kind of effort for someone like me is I, I'm not in southern Illinois, I don't have farmers in my district, but when we think about the growth and the uh, surgence of agriculture and the growth of agriculture here in the state of Illinois, um, students in my district are going to benefit from these opportunities when they have the opportunity to attend schools like the University of Illinois, Southern Illinois University of Carbondale where I'm an alumni. Um, we have growing agriculture interests in the south suburbs programs at elementary schools as well as high schools and hopefully these young people will see the importance of pursuing agriculture as a degree the death of a memphis area school teacher eliza fletcher while she was out on an early morning run earlier this month prompting peoria police to want to show local runners and walkers what they can do to stay safe peoria police sergeant dave smith will lead a clinic what I want to focus on with this is uh, situational awareness, mindset, and what criminals look for when they're looking for a victim so that the person out on the street doesn't necessarily present themselves as a victim to that person. Peoria Police Sergeant Dave Smith leading a clinic this past week at Peoria Police Headquarters. Smith says essentially ways to be situationally aware that police officers are taught is exactly what he wants to pass on to runners and walkers. He says just making eye contact and paying attention to your surroundings can almost be the difference between life and death. A lot of times um, if someone's out running and um, I'll just uh, use a blanket term, a criminal who is targeting that person sees them and they don't appear that they even notice the bad guy looking at them. That makes, that makes them an easy target to that criminal. He says a lot of times if somebody's out running and a criminal who's trying to target a person sees them and they don't appear that they even notice that the bad guy's looking at them and that makes them an even bigger target to that would-be criminal. He says that's what his focus would be, is watching, teaching people what criminals look out for when they're looking for a victim so that a person out on the street doesn't necessarily present themselves as such. Sergeant Smith talked with us more on this topic and what he wants to make sure people here know when they get out and about. This is actually uh, kind of spawned after the Eliza Fletcher uh, murder and um, kidnapping down in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, she was out running and she was abducted and, and subsequently murdered um, during a, a, an early morning jog. Um, so it, while that being a tragedy, um, I looked at it as an opportunity for us to educate um, our citizens here in Peoria on um, uh, safety as far as it goes, running, walking, walking to your car in a, in a dimly lit parking lot, anything that has to do with uh, being out in the public. Are there things, especially I'm thinking maybe of runners here, that, uh, that may be by and large they don't do but maybe they should be doing when they, when they're out running i i think most runners most of the time are probably 
you know, pretty aware of their surroundings and things like that. But I guess as we saw with Eliza Fletcher, maybe there are times when that's not the case. Yes, there. Um, a lot of it has to do with situational, uh, situational awareness, uh, the mindset that the person's in at the time. A lot of times when someone's exercising or jogging, they're really not paying a whole lot of attention to what's going on around them. Um, so what I want to focus on with this is uh, situational awareness, mindset, um, and what criminals look for when they're looking for a victim so that, um, so that the person out on the street uh, – doesn't necessarily present themselves as a victim to that person. We have certain strategies that we are taught as police officers that help us increase our situational awareness and uh, our mindset while we're out on the street. Um, and I want to pass along some of those tips to the citizens of Peoria or surrounding communities. Um, so that they can use those same uh, strategies that we employ. Give me an idea, I, not to make you go through your whole presentation, but g give me an idea of something that maybe a criminal does look for in a situation like that. Is it that sort of, I guess, maybe sometimes maybe runners look like they're just kind of in the in the zone running or listening to the radio or whatever? Is it that sort of thing maybe that's top of mind or is it something else? Uh, sure. One one quick and easy tip that I can give you is that a lot of times um, if someone's out running and um, I'll just uh, use a blanket term, a criminal who is targeting that person sees them and they don't appear that they even notice uh, the, the, the bad guy looking at them. Um, that makes that makes them an easy target to that criminal and a lot of times just making eye contact just letting that criminal know or, or that person that, that intends to do you harm know hey I see you and I'm keeping my eye on you and it, it just I don't want to say scares them off but it, it makes them aware that okay now this person sees me and their attention is directed toward me I may not want to go any further with my plans to um, assault or attack that person like with uh, the the Eliza Fletcher uh, murder, was and that being as you said in the early morning hours, is is that a is that a bad time? I guess. Well, it's all based on what's convenient for the person um, who has to be out at that time. A, a lot of people don't have the option to where they can go run in the afternoon, where they have the advantage of daylight. Um, their only opportunity to go out running or going for a morning walk or something may be pre-dawn. And unfortunately, um, in the darkness, uh, the criminal has the advantage over us, uh, where a, a lot of times in we may have the advantage when it's light out over the criminal. So they may use that opportunity of the darkness um, to target someone. One of the things I've seen uh, happen here in, in the last number of days since that death was that uh, people have gathered together at that sort of time of day to quote unquote finish the run. And I, and I kept thinking about how strength in numbers, I guess, is, is probably a, a pretty good thing when you're out running. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that would probably be the number one tip. But again, unfortunately, for some people, that's just not an option. They, they, the only option they may have would be to go out and run alone early in the morning because they can't uh, make it to a time where they can do an organized group run or walk. And a lot of times people run such different paces that it's not practical to run in a group with someone who you know, may be faster or slower than you or walk faster or slower than you. The only option may be to run alone. 
In terms of safety, uh, Sergeant, uh, you mentioned at the beginning uh, dimly lit parking lots and living in an apartment complex that has one. That even just walking from the parking lot to the door to my apartment, guys, that at certain times of day, that can really just kind of freak you out. Uh, certainly, and it, it all starts with your situational awareness when you, um, as you're pulling into that parking lot, as, as you're looking in those those dark spots uh, for someone to hide, and it, it goes even, uh, you know, a little bit further into to how you park your car and what you can see as you're getting out of your car. Um, there's a whole host of those things that I'll be covering in the clinic um, to increase situational awareness and environmental awareness as well. I want to stress the fact that it's not a self-defense class. Um, I won't be teaching any karate chops or eye pokes or anything like that. This is all about where your mind should be when you're in a, a potentially um, a dangerous situation or a situation that could be dangerous. Uh, mindset, situational environmental awareness, um, and other tips as far as uh, if you're out on your run, you know, what what works um, as far as do you want to carry mace, do you not want to carry mace? Um, you know, I've heard, uh, and I'll just kind of go over the basics on, on what I would recommend that people carry with them when they're out on their walk or their run. Although I'm sure uh, if you know how to karate chop somebody, <laughs> at least self-defense-wise, that's that's not a bad thing. Sometimes it works depending on the size of the other guy, but even me as a police officer, there's some guys that are big enough that I, I want some friends around. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us at this time next week on this Midwest 360 station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in central Illinois. You don't have to wait for Week in Review to get the lowdown on what's happening in central Illinois for instant news 24-7. Follow us at 1470 WMBD on Facebook, Twitter, at Instagram and at 1470WMBD.com. I'm Cooper Banks, WMBD News.